He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter to each and every one of you. God bless you, Cornerstone Church, friends, guests. It's Resurrection Sunday. We're celebrating life today, his life, divine life, life over death, hope over despair, his healing over sickness, his victory over defeat. This is a great, great time in our country, great, great time in our state, great, great time in our family to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm a believer. I believe you're a believer as well. And since we are believers, we have hope, we have confidence that everything's going to turn out okay. For our resurrected Savior is ruling and reigning. He has everything under control. God is good. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. All right. I'd like to preach a message. I've never preached this before. I was listening to a sermon uh, about a week ago, and it just prompted uh, these thoughts. I began to study out the scriptures. I want to talk about the four robes of Jesus. The four robes of Jesus, and we're going to conclude with a fifth robe, the robe that he gives us. I want to talk about the four robes of Jesus. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about Resurrection Sunday. Of course they do. This is the grandest event. On Friday, we talked about the death of Jesus, remembering his death. But that cross means nothing without the resurrection. The resurrection proves that everything Jesus said and everything he did was true and right. Without uh, Sunday coming, Without resurrection, Jesus was simply a man that died on the cross and left us a good example. But because he rose again, we know that his words are true, his prophecies are true, his power is real, his salvation is genuine, and his hope that he gives us is true and certain. In Matthew 28, verse 1, it talks about that Sunday morning, and he says, The first day of the week began to dawn. The first day of the week began to dawn. I like that. It began to dawn. The sun rise, signifying a new day, a new beginning, a brand new hope. Oh, don't we need that? I've been praying for our country, praying for our state, praying for you, that in this great plague, that there would be the first sunrise, The dawn of a brand new day, a new beginning. I'm praying that Easter be a turning point for our nation, that we might see an end to this terrible plague and the victory that comes through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark's account, he says in Mark 16, verse 4, the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. The stone was rolled away. Because it was very large. I I like that. The power of God to roll away that stone. That to me speaks about overcoming impossibilities. And Resurrection Sunday, Easter, is all about a new beginning, a brand new hope. It's all about overcoming impossibilities. Those things that are too large for us to handle, too large for us to deal with, seemingly impossible to move out of our lives. 
And maybe you have some of those things in your life, in your family during this time. But I want you to know on this Easter, we celebrate the fact that God has the power not just to roll away a stone 2,000 years ago, a physical stone, but he can roll away all kinds of barriers, all kinds of mountains, all kinds of possibilities out of your life, out of your family's life. Luke 24 verse 3 says this, the tomb was empty. Oh, I love that. The celebration of life over death. Boy, we need that, don't we, in our nation right now? Life over death. The tomb was empty. But I want to zero in on John's account. John chapter 20, verses 6 to 8. Simon Peter came, the scripture says, following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. Interesting, isn't it? John's gospel focuses in on the grave clothes that were lying there, and then that handkerchief that was off to the side folded and neatly in its place. I want you to know that that's an interesting little observation that John wrote about in his Gospels. And it says a few things to me. Number one, it says this, that the body of Jesus was not stolen. You know, that was the rumor. That was what the Pharisees and the religious leaders wanted the people to believe, that somehow people came and stole that body. That's why it wasn't in that tomb. They weren't believers. They wanted to somehow put deception into the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But that little little note here, that the handkerchief was folded, tells me that Jesus' body was not stolen. Can you imagine that? Thieves breaking in. Roman guards out by that stone, and they broke in, and in their haste, they said, wait, we got to fold up the handkerchief. It makes no sense. Jesus folded up that handkerchief. Why is that? Because he was taking his time. Why is that? Because he was filled with peace. Why is that? Because he had conquered death and the grave. His work was finished. He is now a picture of peace a picture of calm, a picture of serenity. I like that, don't you? And I want you to know that Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, who was not in a hurry on that Sunday morning because he had no need to be in a hurry because he had accomplished everything he needed to accomplish and death no longer had a hold on him, I want you to know that same power and that same peace and that same calmness, he now says to us, my peace I give you. So be at peace. Be at peace. Jesus is alive. He has all power. He has all authority. Your life is in his hands. He holds you secure. He holds you secure. The grave clothes were lying there. The grave clothes. You know, he was wrapped in those clothes when they took him down off the cloth, off of that cross and We know according to the scriptures that Jesus, when he rose again from the dead, when he appeared to those disciples, he was wearing a robe. Not those grave clothes, but the resurrected Christ was wearing a robe. And like I said, I want to talk about the four robes of Jesus. And I think as I talk about these four robes, I think it's going to spark hope and faith and peace and confidence 
in your heart and in your life. But I tell you what, we need that, don't we? We absolutely do. The four robes of Jesus. And I pray as I go through this message that God, by his Holy Spirit, would glorify his son, Jesus Christ, by making his resurrected life and story come alive in our hearts. The first robe we find in the pre-incarnate son of God. That's right. Jesus, before he ever came to this earth, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14. But before it says that, it says this in John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and, and uh, that was the word itself. We understand that in John 1, verse 1, right? Jesus, the pre-incarnate Savior, he was the Son of God in eternity past. And it says this in Psalm 104. Verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. We find, according to Psalm 104, that the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Son of God, was robed with honor and majesty and wore that robe like a garment of light. He was glorified. In John 17, Jesus prays to his heavenly Father. He says, oh, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you in the very beginning. He was the exalted Son of God, equal to the Father, robed with honor and majesty. And we understood that he wore that robe because he was God himself. And all of a sudden, the Father looks down from heaven, and he sees a world in turmoil, a world that was broken, a world that was dead in sin, a world that was helpless and hopeless. And he looks to his son, and the scripture is very clear about this, that the father gave his son, that the father sent his son, and that the son willingly came to this earth. That's right, Jesus took off robe number one, took off the robe of glory so that he might take upon himself flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What motivated the pre-incarnate Son of God to take off that very first robe, that garment of majesty, that garment of light, that garment of power? What motivated him to do so? I tell you what, it was his love for us. We know the Father was filled with love by sending his Son, and Jesus had the love of God in his heart to come to us. And not only was love, but it was sacrifice, sacrificial love. Jesus laid aside his power. He laid aside that glory to come to this earth. The book of Philippians talks about this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Great sacrifice, great love, great humility caused the pre-incarnate Son of God to take off that robe and take upon himself flesh to come down to this earth as a man and become a servant and offer himself as a sacrifice 
for you and I, that he might one day be highly exalted and given a name that's above every name. Amen? Amen. Let's talk about robe number two. We find robe number two in John's gospel, chapter 13. This is the last day. It's Thursday. That night they face Passover where he's betrayed. Friday he's crucified. Sunday's coming, Resurrection Sunday. Praise the Lord. But that Thursday, he's celebrating Passover with his disciples. They got an upper room where he had Passover meal with his disciples. And he began that evening by washing feet. That's why Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, humbled himself and washed his disciples' feet. John's Gospel relates the story this way. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. That's the outer robe, robe number two that he was wearing. He laid aside his garments, his robe, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus took off his robe and became a humble servant. The pre-incarnate Son of God took off his robe to become a man. Jesus, the Son of God on this earth, took off that robe so that he might become a humble servant. That's right, humility motivated Jesus to wash his disciples' feet. This is the same robe that the woman touched and said, if I could just touch the hem of that garment, that robe, I shall be healed. And she touched it in faith. And of course, she was healed of her great sickness. This is also the same robe that Jesus wore on the Mount of Transfiguration that shined as white as white can be. Because Jesus was glorified briefly on the Mount of Transfiguration. Transfiguration. This is also the robe that identified Jesus as a rabbi. Because Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and called him a rabbi, meaning teacher. This is the robe. The robe that had that healing power. The robe that Jesus wore when he was transfigured and glorified. The robe that he wore that identified him as a religious scholar, a teacher, a rabbi. This robe Jesus took off that he might become a servant. Signifying not just humility... But what else? He came to humble himself. He came to kneel. He came to wash feet. He came to wipe away the dirt and the filth. It's a prefiguration of our own forgiveness. Robe number two signifies the humility of Jesus, the servant's heart of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, leaving us an example that as he has done this to us, we also ought to serve one another and to forgive one another. He tells us in John 13, verse 15, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Robe number two. The robe of the humble servant. Robe number three is the robe of the suffering Savior. In John's account, in John chapter 19, tells us this. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. 
Now the tunic or the robe was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it. Why? Because it was so valuable. This seamless robe was a robe fit for a king. It was a fit for royalty. It's an expensive robe. They didn't want to tear it. They wanted to keep it intact because it was a special robe, a robe of great value. They said among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldier did these things. This third robe of the suffering Savior speaks about Jesus being royalty, Jesus being king, Jesus being the perfect, spotless lamb of God, Jesus being our faithful high priest. I believe grace motivated Jesus to take off this robe and to be crucified for you and I. I know the scripture says that they took his garment, but we understand that, right? Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. He could have called a legion of angels to rescue him at any time. But when they took his garments, it's as if the scripture is telling us, oh, they took his garments, but he allowed them to. He enabled them to. He wanted them to. He willingly gave it up as they took it because he did not want to wear this robe anymore. What did he want to wear? The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He wanted to wear and bear our sins that he might experience shame and dishonor, that he might be wounded and bruised for our iniquities. He bore our shame so that we might walk in forgiveness and have peace and confidence and honor in the presence of Almighty God. I'm so thankful that Jesus took off robe number three, aren't you? I'm thankful for that. The Bible says that it was a seamless robe, a perfect robe. Speaking of which, Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. I think we could say this, he was seamless, perfect, without spot, without blemish. This seamless robe. I like the fact that it was, it was woven from top to bottom. Reminds me of the veil of the temple that was torn from top to bottom. Meaning God the Father tore that veil in that temple, top heaven, down to earth. It was not the act of a man, but the act of Almighty God. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn from top to bottom. This, this robe was seamless from top to bottom. It was a priestly garment, a kingly garment, a royal garment, but Jesus took it off. Let me read to you this passage that I wrote down in my notes, talking about it being a robe of perfection signifying the sinlessness of the Lamb of God. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All through the Bible, God has been teaching the lesson of substitution. He has been talking to people about a lamb without blemish to be sacrificed to take away sin. 
By the time of Christ, the priests and the Levites have instructed a special rank of shepherds to grow spotless lambs. They are grown or bred in Bethlehem. On Palm Sunday, those lambs are going to the Temple Mount. The same day, riding upon a donkey, comes the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover lamb and God's lamb enter the city the exact same day. The priests and the Levites examine the lambs. They look inside the mouths, go through the fleece, the hooves, the eyes, even the eyelids are examined. If there is any flaw, the lamb is not worthy for sacrifice. Jesus is another lamb born in Bethlehem. Mary's little lamb, whose fleece is white as snow. He is the virgin-born son of God. He too is examined by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the civil leaders. He is pronounced sinless. Then comes the climax. At three o'clock in the afternoon, the priest tilts the head of that little spotless lamb and uses a lethal knife. At that very moment on cruel Golgotha, God's lamb pours out his royal blood for the sin of mankind. And Jesus says from the cross at that three o'clock in the afternoon, it is finished. It is paid in full. The Lord himself invites you to place your hands on that perfect spotless lamb and say, Jesus, you are my substitute. Forgive my sin. Take, take full control of my life. Thank you for saving me. Jesus wore that seamless robe signifying, prefiguring the fact that he was the spotless, without sin, lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, that we might be forgiven. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus took off that robe. It was not just a seamless robe, but the scripture says that they would not tear it. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 21, verse 10, the high priest would wear a high priestly robe, and he was forbidden, according to the law, from ever rending or tearing his garment. This robe they would not tear because Jesus not only was the lamb slain for us, but he also was the high priest offering the lamb for the sins of the world. He was the high priest that offered it, and he also was the lamb that became it. He was that high priest in his robe, keeping with the law of God, could not be torn. And so it wasn't. It was not torn. They tore his flesh. They bruised his body. They pierced his hands and his feet. They took a spear into his heart and now poured out blood and water for our atonement. But they did not tear his robe because the high priest's robe could not be torn. It was a robe that was seamless because he was the perfect spotless lamb of God. Hallelujah. Robe number three. Well, what about robe number four? I call this the robe of the risen and coming king. It talks about this robe. Goes back to that garden tomb. Peter and John race to that tomb. Peter goes into the tomb and he sees the grave clothes lying there. That's right. Jesus is no longer wearing grave clothes. He left those things behind. That little handkerchief all folded up nice and neat, signifying, indeed, I am risen. 
I'm at peace. I'm full of power. Nobody stole my body. I resurrected. It is finished. The work is complete. But Jesus left those clothes behind. And the book of Revelation talks about Jesus coming again only with a different robe, a resurrected robe. Not grave clothes, but a resurrected robe. This is robe number four. Revelation chapter 19 talks about this robe. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. This is the fourth robe, the resurrected robe, this glorious robe. Probably like the very first robe he wore in the very beginning when he was clothed with majesty and honor and power and strength. Only this robe that he is wearing when he comes again as the resurrected one, the coming king, this robe is dipped in blood. A forever reminder that Jesus not only is an eternal king and our eternal faithful high priest, but he is our eternal savior and his blood never loses its power. Somebody say amen to that. Hallelujah. Jesus wears the robe of a king, but this robe is dipped in blood. His blood, the blood of the everlasting covenant. This robe represents power, victory, and hope. And that's my message to you this Easter Sunday, is that you can have power over sin. You can have power over your own inabilities by the spirit of the resurrected Jesus. It's a message that speaks to me of victory. Victory over death, victory over grave, victory over shame, victory over defeat, victory over despair, victory over fear. This is the robe that he wears. It speaks of power. It speaks of victory. It speaks of hope, an eternal hope, a living hope. That's right. There is a brighter future coming if you believe in Jesus because he offers you a true living hope. Robe number four, the risen and coming king. Those are the four robes of Jesus. But I want to conclude talking about a fifth robe, robe number five. That's the robe that you need to wear. That's the robe that I need to wear, robe number five. Isaiah talks about this robe, and I trust that you have this robe on right now. I'm not talking about a physical clothing. I'm talking about a spiritual clothing. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That fifth robe is the robe that our resurrected king gives us. He's wearing a robe that's been dipped in blood forever being our eternal savior. But I want to know that he wants to robe you with a garment of salvation and a robe of righteousness? Are you clothed today in his salvation? Are you covered with his righteousness? 
The Bible says he was wounded for our iniquities and bruised for our sins and trespasses. But the Bible also says that he was raised again for our righteousness. Our righteousness. That's right. You can be right with God. Not by works that you have done, but by believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Savior of the world wants to clothe you with his salvation and robe you with his righteousness. He wants to forgive you of your sins and to make you right with his heavenly Father. May I ask you this question? Are you properly dressed? Did you know heaven has a dress code? Some restaurants have dress codes. My wife and I love to go to Mackinac Island We go to the Grand Hotel. They have a dress code. In the evening, you got to wear a coat and tie, and women has to wear a skirt or a dress. You just can't go into the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island just dressed any way you want. It's not acceptable. You'll be kicked out. It has a dress code. Heaven has a dress code. Jesus taught a parable talking about heaven's dress code. Let me read to you that parable, Matthew 23, 22, verses 11 to 13. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on the wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He gives this parable to teach us that we need to be properly dressed up in heaven. And those that are not properly dressed have no access or entrance into the great feast, this place called heaven, this place of joy and this place of celebration. This man was cast out, the scripture says, into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's eternal judgment. He wasn't properly dressed. You might be saying, well, I believe I'm properly dressed. Look at the good I've done. Look at the good I'm doing right now. I'm helping people during this crisis. I'm giving food to the the shelters, and and I'm helping out those that seemingly are in despair, and I'm acting in kindness. I believe I'm properly dressed with loving actions and good works. Surely that will get me into heaven. But I want to read to a passage of scripture out of the book of Isaiah. Tells us in Isaiah 64, verse 6. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. It doesn't say all our sins, all our failures, all our shortcomings. It says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Did you know you cannot enter into heaven clothed in your own good works? Clothed in your own acts of kindness? Clothed in your religious observances? Clothed in your charitable giving? Clothed in your kind words to others? Clothed in your giving of money to help the poor? None of that is a proper clothing to get into heaven. The eternal Son of God, who wore those robes, taking them off, but now has put on that final robe, dipped in blood, his blood, on that robe, signifying you must 
be covered in the blood of Jesus. The scripture says we're not saved by works of righteousness. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All our righteousness as are as filthy rags. Death comes upon all men, for all have sinned. We understand that. We have come short of the glory of God. Oh, how we need to believe on what Jesus did at the cross. Oh, we must trust in his resurrection. Romans chapter 10 is very clear about this. That if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Let me read to you Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It reads as follows. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You must believe in the cross and also the resurrection. For the cross is meaningless without the resurrection. He is alive. He completed the work. God validated that his words and actions were true and right. He raised up that crucified Savior by the power of his spirit. And Jesus is now the ascended, exalted one who ever lived to make intercession for you and I. Trust in him. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in the Lord. Look to God and be saved. In the Old Testament, literally says, look and live. Look and live. What does that mean? Look to the cross. Look to the Savior. Look to the resurrected one and find eternal life. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Receive Christ into your heart. Believe that God raised him from the dead. Trust him with your today. Trust him with your tomorrow. Ask him to take your sins away. Christ will come and live on the inside of you because he is a living Savior, the resurrected one. Do you want to be clothed with garments of salvation and robes of righteousness? You must believe today. Believe upon him. Let me lead you in a prayer. Wherever you find yourself, maybe in a home, you're in your office, wherever you find yourself tuning in on Facebook Live or maybe our live stream off our webpage, and you're watching, you're listening, what better time than this day, Easter, Resurrection Day, to trust in Jesus. Hallelujah. Follow along with me as I pray. And you give your heart to Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart. Pray this prayer with me. Come into my heart. Say it out loud if you can. And save me. Forgive me. Wash my sins away. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again from the dead for me. I trust in what you did for me. I turn from my sins. I turn to God to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we want to rejoice with you. Just let us know. Maybe you're in the chat room. Maybe on Facebook Live. Just let us know. I prayed. I received Christ. I gave my heart to the Lord. I recommended my life to Jesus. Oh, we would love to be encouraged by that testimony. Just let us know, okay? We would love to hear from you. All right, we got a song to sing. It's called The Blessing. I want to close with this. And it's a blessing over you and your children and your children's children. We all need the blessing of the Lord, don't we? Especially in these very perilous times. Oh, for his hand to be upon us, for his blessing to remain on us. So I want you to worship the Lord with our worship team. And let's believe God that he's going to bless us, our family, our children, their children, and their children. God bless you. He is risen. He is risen indeed.